Tonight, the 3 a.m. Mystery Club has a double feature for you. The first story isn't true crime necessarily, but has a huge creep factor and a ghostly vibe. The second story I'm going to cover involves one of the creepiest missing person stories I've ever heard of, and both were listener suggestions. The first story brings us back to the water once again, this time to northern Georgia. Thank you to Jesse West of Hurricane West Virginia for this suggestion. Jesse, how have we known each other for over 20 years? Make that make sense, please. <laughs> but seriously, thank you for bringing this to my attention. This is episode number 54. Join us as we dive into the dark waters of Lake Lanier. Hello, and welcome back to the 3 a.m. Mystery Club podcast. I'm Brandon. I'm Ro. And I'm Derek. And as Derek already told you, he's up tonight with a double feature, and I think you're ready to go, right? I'm ready. So I have to ask, have either of you heard of Lake Lanier? Mm, No, I don't think so. So Jay Bailey has a popular TikTok account, and we'll list her account in the show notes, by the way. In her TikTok videos... She warns of the three places in Georgia you should never visit. The first is Lake Lanier. The second is Lake Lanier. And the third is Lake Lanier. Why is Lake Lanier considered one of the creepiest places in Georgia and one of the most haunted in the whole country? It is estimated that over 600 people have died there. 200 of those have perished in the lake since 1994. That's a lot of people in the last 27 years. In addition to this, the water was already full of dead bodies. Yes, you heard that right. Lake Lanier is full of dead bodies. My friend of over 20 years and 3 a.m. Mystery Club listener, Jesse brought this chilling story to my attention recently. She sent me a TikTok video and said, maybe you could cover this on the podcast. I checked it out and I was totally freaked out to find that this person warns people not to visit Lake Lanier in Georgia. It has such a creepy history. And as I briefly touched on, many people have died there. But despite those warnings, eight to 10 million people visit the lake annually with 68 parks and recreation areas, 1,200 campsites, and 10 full-service marinas. Built in 1957 by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, Lake Lanier is a man-made lake that was created to manage navigation and flood control from the Chattahoochee River and to supply water for residents in the city of Atlanta. The creation of Lake Lanier was plagued with problems from the beginning. To flood the area to make the lake, the U.S. government displaced over 700 families and had to relocate 20 cemeteries, including the bodies. But they didn't manage to move all of the grave sites. And you know what that means. It's likely that some unmarked graves were inadvertently left behind, 
So, yep, bodies are likely in that water. Obviously, the technological capability to identify and verify unmarked burial sites through subsurface scanning or other means was far less robust 70 years ago. First, I want to briefly touch on the disturbing history of Lake Lanier. Just a very short 42 miles north of Atlanta, beneath the lake, lies the truth of a small village called Oscarville, Georgia. It was a thriving community that was predominantly black owned. Patrick Phillips' 2016 book, Blood at the Root, A Racial Cleansing in America, sparked a newfound curiosity in the long forgotten Oscarville. Phillips detailed the 1912 lynchings and subsequent riots that began with the sexual assault and murder of a young white woman named Sleety Mae Crow. Out of fear, roughly 1,100 black residents fled Oscarville and Forsyth County to escape racialized violence. Despite the town's agricultural accomplishments, this is the sad story that defines Oscarville. With whispers of ghosts and curses, Georgians find Lake Lanier's position above several old towns to blame for many visitors' deaths. Since 1994, nearly 200 people have died at the lake in various swimming and boating accidents. Since 2011 alone, there have been nearly 20 deaths. In fact, while I was researching for this episode, I googled and hit the news tab only to find an article from just a week ago at the time of this recording that the body of a drowned paddleboarder has been recovered. Jeffrey McElfresh of Louisville, Kentucky was on a paddleboard without a life jacket when he went under shortly after 4.30 p.m. at West Bank Park in Forsyth County, a DNR spokesman said. He had a pool noodle with him and the pool noodle began to float away said Mark McKinnon, a DNR spokesman. He attempted to retrieve it, became tired, and went under. He reappeared shortly after and went under a second time and never resurfaced. The latest search comes two days after the body of a 24-year-old was recovered from the lake. The body of Dorian Pinson, a college basketball player who had been missing since April, was found Wednesday in 117 feet of water. On April 18th, Pinson had gone on an excursion on the lake on a rented pontoon boat when he and two others jumped or fell from the boat. That was when Pinson went underwater and did not resurface. They were only make it to back to the boat due to wind. The two others were rescued by a passing boat. The search for Pinson in the 130 feet deep water continued for five days. On the sixth day, the search transitioned to surface searches and shore sweeps, which continued daily. Back in 2019, Lake Lanier sparked controversy after a series of tragic accidents claimed the lives of multiple victims. Over Memorial Day weekend of that year, 30-year-old Reginald Terrell Whitehead went under the water and never resurfaced after falling off of his jet ski. 24 hours prior to Whitehead's accident, 61-year-old Michael Thompson of Gainesville drowned near a boat deck on Lake Lanier. Just weeks before, on April 28th, 
17-year-old Dante Lane of Lithonia was pulled from the water after nearly drowning. The latest reports list him in critical condition. Lake Lanier also claimed the life of 11-year-old Kyle Glover, son of Usher's ex-wife, Tamika Foster, who was critically injured in a jet ski accident in 2012. Although the lake is 152 feet deep at its lowest point, underwater forests with trees as tall as 60 feet rest at the bottom. The trees, remaining chicken coops, building foundations and cemeteries make it challenging to dredge Lake Lanier for bodies. I just, let's stop for a minute and just talk about that for a second. Can you imagine that an entire town and even forests underwater? That is just unbelievably creepy to me. Yeah, like I'm creeped out about everything so far. So yeah. I mean, it's really hard to imagine with that. I mean, with that scary history and how long ago that history began and just everything that's happened from the formation of the lake to the last few years, not the last few years, but the last several decades. Right. It's really mind-boggling to imagine what's in that water. And people voluntarily go there to have fun. All the time. It's one of the most visited lakes. It makes no sense to me. That makes no sense. Okay, first of all, water is one of my biggest fears. Like, you know, I'm not a swimmer. I've never, I've almost drowned twice when I was a kid. And so, yeah, I will never be caught in that lake. But I, even if I loved water, like after everything that's happened there and the fact that to know that it's basically built on top of a graveyard and there's probably bodies floating around down there that oh yeah no way yeah i couldn't do that either <laughs> no way an old auto racing track was also reportedly left behind and remains at the lake bottom although its bleachers were removed so they wouldn't float to the surface and cause dangerous conditions for boats so crazy to think about some boat just going along the water and some bleachers surfacing Gosh, what what isn't down there? <laughs> no, and then and that's not even it. The concrete block foundations of some small buildings were also submerged. Some people have even claimed to hear church bells from a sunken church, but of course, experts say this is not possible. It's said that no such structures were known to be left behind due to the height issue it would have, such as a steeple. But the ghost stories, of course, persist, and we are going to talk about them. Over the years, divers have reported creepy sightings beneath the murky waters. Some tell stories of freaky catfish as big as cars. YouTube is filled with videos of divers showing sunken houseboats and piles of debris. In 2017, longtime diver Buck Buchanan told local media that he sometimes felt body parts in the lake during his many excursions. He says you reached out into the dark and you feel an arm or a leg and it doesn't move. Oh no, fuck that. <laughs> what? Yes, this diver says that he has actually felt body parts in the water. Oh my God. And that's probably from the cemetery, right? Or, or, re or the most recent drowning victim. Like what? Either. I mean, probably more realistically, I would say a, a recent drowning victim. It seems like the cemetery people would probably be bones now but i mean that's disgusting and scary oh, <laughs> and for him to identify it and know that's what it is lake lanier's size and popularity contribute to all of the tall tales 
and its high visitation rate also means more fatalities. Lake officials recognize that urban legends can develop over time, and they want to discourage the curious from coming out just to explore urban legends or similar risky acts. Not sure if that's working, but they have good intentions. One of Lake Lanier's most popular urban legends involves a car accident. According to the story, a Ford sedan carrying two women careened off of a bridge in April of 1958 and tumbled into the lake. Some say the ghost of one of the women, dubbed the Lady of the Lake, of course, wanders the bridge at night in a blue dress, lost and restless. Those ghosts that died in the 50s and before that always have their dress or their nightgown on. Have you noticed that? Yes, and it's made me think maybe I should start dressing better and like getting better PJ. <laughs> yes, you don't want to like spend your afterlife haunting, you know, whoever in your worst clothes. <laughs> I, I don't want to be wearing my shorts with holes in the crotch and my stained up t-shirt for my forever outfit. No, thank you. And you don't want to be floating over a mud puddle in your nightgown, scaring people. Another one of the numerous apparitions to reportedly haunt Lake Lanier is that of a mysterious raft seen floating on the lake at night. Its inhabitant, a shadowy figure, pushing along with a pole, a lantern lighting his way. Those who have made claims to have seen this nautical apparition say it seems to appear and disappear from out of nowhere. One such sighting was reported by two fishermen who claimed to have seen it at about 1 a.m. on a cold autumn night. The raft was spotted in a section of the lake that is known to be roughly 45 feet deep. Yet the raft's rider seemed to have no difficulty navigating the water with a pole to push him along. The two fishermen watched as the figure traveled along before suddenly shouting and jumping out of the raft into the freezing water. Afraid that something was coming for them, the fishermen quickly pulled up their lines and prepared to leave the area. But when they shined their lights across the water, there was no sign of the raft or the figure. The dark surface of the lake calm and undisturbed as if nothing large had ever disrupted them. Given the number of deaths associated with Lake Lanier in its 63-year history, typically estimating between 10 and 20 a year, it seems as though this lake has caused more death and destruction than one would expect. Is it cursed? Is it just bad luck? Are people going there and being dumb? I mean, clearly not every person that was a victim was doing something dumb. But what is going on? Why are so many things happening here? This is up for debate, but I think the most important takeaway is whoever does decide to swim in those waters needs to be careful and aware and remember that beneath that lake sits the ruins of several towns, abandoned ships, and a brutal history of racist violence and lives lost that should never be forgotten. Well, let me tell you, that, um, if, if anything's ever been haunted, it's that lake. I'm sorry. Like, you know, I like to believe in ghost stories um, within reason. And um, I think this one is an easy one to believe. <laughs> like, there's just too much too much there and i can't believe i've never heard of it and also i can't believe that um a recent 
Louis, someone from Louisville recently died there. That's, you know, that's where I live currently for those of you that don't know out there. So yeah, that kind of, you know, I got some goosebumps when you said that, but that's just, this is just a crazy story. And like I've already mentioned, water is not my favorite thing. So I was, um, I was wondering if you had heard of the guy from Louisville. No, I have not, but now I'm going to check it out. But yeah, That's so true. this is like my, yeah, this is like my nightmare, this whole thing. So yeah, good job freaking me out. Oh, thanks. And I wanted to say I'm with you. You know, I love ghost stories. I love talking about the supernatural. And I believe in that. I believe that there are a lot of things about this world and beyond that we don't understand. But as you know, I'm also highly skeptical and discerning, and I don't believe everything has a ghostly explanation. But with that being said, if anything is haunted, I think it's probably this body of water with that history and that's had that many deaths. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. You know, um, Every time I hear about any time there's been a graveyard disturbed, all I can think about is Poltergeist, the movie. So it's like, then I started thinking to myself, why hasn't there been a movie made about this lake? Like, or at least based on this lake. So then I quickly Googled to make sure there wasn't. And I don't think there has been. So there really needs to be. Rowena, I have to tell you something crazy while we are talking about this. I want to tell both of you, but I say Rowena specifically because it involves your area where you currently live. My cousin Stephen grew up on the same road that you live on in the same area of West Virginia. And when we were kids, we walked into the woods near his house. Like he, I mean, he lived way out in a rural area, very secluded very country like he pretty much lived with forest surrounding his house we walked like, like i do now pretty much yes. i live right, right on the border of a wildlife reserve exactly i would assume it's very similar he and i walked into the woods and we went kind of far he knew where we were going he had been there before i'm not even joking we found a cemetery I think it went, I think it belonged to a church that was like no longer really in existence. Like it was half standing. And this is the creepy part. Some of the graves were open and stuff was poking out of them. Oh, not, not like bodies or bones or anything, but clearly the, whatever they were buried in was sort of protruding from the ground. Oh no. The finding the cemetery with the objects protruding from the ground, and I'm not sure if that was due to flooding or some sort of natural disturbance, I assume. It reminds me of that movie, The Evil Dead. Oh, my gosh. And you know what? Um, in this area, like you said, he lives on the same, in the same area I do. There's probably three or four I can think of off the top of my head that are just abandoned out there in the woods like that. Because my husband goes out there all the time and pulls around with stuff. He's a nature guy. area in the yeah. area that you live in. Yeah, and uh, he's all the time like, "Oh, that cemetery over there, or that one." But I'm like, "Oh my god, how is my house not haunted?" <laughs> I mean, this this one, which it sounds like it's probably the ones he's going to. This one felt like an abandoned cemetery. It definitely didn't seem like one that people were currently visiting or knew how to get to. Or that anyone would even know any of the people buried in it that are still. Yeah. 
there is a cemetery near my mom's house that's like that. The the headstones are like the the latest, the most modern one is like 1923 or something. Um, a local church still takes care of it and keeps it looking nice. But I kid you not, my youngest daughter, and you all know what a personality she is. Yes, and we love her. She, you can walk the trail through that cemetery. It's a very easy walkable trail. There's wildflowers. It's really pretty. And it leads to some neighbor's houses where they have little kids. So my mom lets them when they're visiting, you know, walk through there because she has an eye on them the whole time. My daughter will not walk past a certain headstone. She looks at it and she'll say, there's some bad things there, guys. And it, That's now, I know now everybody's afraid to walk that path. Like even the adults are like, oh no, oh no. Oh yeah. She knows something about that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It, like, you know, I'm like you guys, I, I believe in, in things. There are things we don't understand and give me a, a sound haunting. I'm likely to believe it. And it's just, it's creepy what you can find out there, but yeah, this lake is definitely haunted. <laughs> well, I think we can all agree. The three of us are not going to be visiting Lake Lanier anytime ever. Yeah. Oh, and one more thing before you close this up. When you mentioned the catfish as big as cars, did that ring a bell for anyone with our local history? Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, you mean like the Ohio River? Yeah. <laughs> it did. I was yeah, like, because, yeah, you remember the, the stories when they were diving for when the Silver Bridge collapsed, uh, they were diving for, you know, to recover bodies. And I remember because I had an uncle or, you know, I think everyone, even if they're, even if it's become an urban legend, you've had a relative like who was on the bridge or who dived looking for bodies, but you all, I think we've all heard the same story probably, but the one I remember is, yeah, seeing, seeing catfish as big as, you know, an actual car during that recovery. Yeah. Which my sister is, she's a wildlife biologist and she actually had to get her scuba diving certification in the Ohio river. And every day that was our big joke. We we're like, Oh, please don't get swallowed by a cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I could not imagine scuba diving there. She, she actually, she, she's going to kill me for saying this, but she, she was afraid she was going to have a panic attack because she doesn't like tight spaces. She's got the scuba mask on. And then apparently the clarity of the Ohio River is so bad. You cannot see, like you can put your hands in front of your face and not see how many fingers you're holding up. So I something is going to eat me the whole time. Yeah. So that's what she was thinking. And she's like, how, like, I don't know how I didn't have a panic attack during the whole certification. <laughs> and I just want to say also, Brandon, because you touched, one of you touched on the Silver Bridge Collapse. Which, by the way, we could maybe cover that sometime or talk about that. Yeah, but, with the with the Mothman angle, of course. Right. That was, if you've seen the Mothman prophecies, that is the bridge we're referring to. And my cousin, Stephen, that I mentioned that took me to that weird cemetery when we were kids, his grandfather was actually on the bridge and passed away. Yeah, that would be a good one to cover. Maybe on the anniversary or during the Mothman Festival or something. Our second story tonight was suggested by our listener, Sarah, of Los Angeles, California. Sarah is a special friend of mine and a true crime addict. Like Lake Lanier, this was also brought to my attention in the form of an unsettling TikTok video. 
For as obsessed as I am with unsolved mysteries and old true crime, I sincerely cannot believe I hadn't heard of this case. Thank you, Sarah, for giving me this idea, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. A little girl answers a mysterious knock on her door in the middle of the night and is whisked away by a stranger claiming to be family. Episode number 54 continues with a trip back in time to 1986 New Mexico with the mysterious disappearance of Antoinette Cayadito. Gallup, New Mexico lies 140 miles west of Albuquerque and has a population of just over 21,000 people. A large portion of its population is Native American, with residents from the Navajo, Hopi, and Zuni tribes. Gallup is the county seat of McKinley County and is the most populous city between Flagstaff and Albuquerque along the iconic Route 66. On April 6, 1986, this quiet community was jolted by the inexplicable disappearance of a nine-year-old Navajo girl named Antoinette Cayadito. When her mother and two sisters awoke that morning, they were shocked to discover that Antoinette was not in the house. At first, they searched the house. Penny Cayadito, Antoinette's mother, says she did not panic until she had checked with all of their neighbors, having gone to every house with no sign of little Antoinette. That is when the real fear set in. Penny Cayadito's neighbors spread out throughout the surrounding foothills looking for Antoinette. For three days, they searched alongside police with high hopes, but those hopes were quickly dashed as no trace of the little girl was found. Authorities were almost sure she had been kidnapped. The days stretched into weeks and then months. Police could offer little hope of Penny ever finding her daughter alive. Finally, after a year had passed and all seemed hopeless, a dramatic call for help came into the Gallup police station. I'm Antoinette Cayadito, the caller stated, and that she was in Albuquerque. This was followed by a man's voice who aggressively shouted, who said you could use the phone, followed by the little girl's screams. Police played that call for Penny Cayadito, Antoinette's mother. If she could identify the voice as her daughter's, it could offer an excruciating glimmer of hope. Penny says she listened to the call over and over, and judging by the girl's voice, particularly the way she said her last name, and by the way she screamed, it sent chills all over her entire body and she felt in her heart it was her child's voice on that tape. But she could not figure out who the man's voice belonged to. Though the girl, presumably Antoinette, indicated that she was in Albuquerque, the call was unfortunately not long enough to be traced. I've listened to the recording of that call, and it's very creepy, and I have it for you here. Oh yeah, that's that's sad and terrifying. But that made my heart hurt like really bad. Oh my god. I mean, I think it was probably her. It sounded real. I don't think a little kid is going to act that well. No, that was real. That that was real terror in some in some little kid. 
that I mean it was a real terrified child I mean for sure I agree and the man sounded psychotic and terrifying four harrowing years passed with not much new information authorities feared Antoinette would never be found alive in desperation the FBI released two computer enhanced photos showing what Antoinette might look like at age 14. Four months later, the last ditch effort paid off. A potential sighting of Antoinette was reported 870 miles from Gallup in Carson City, Nevada. A waitress at a restaurant in Carson City told the Carson City police about an unusual incident she had observed. She had waited on a table at which sat a sort of disheveled male and female, and a young girl about the age of 14 or 15. The girl would seemingly deliberately drop her utensils on the floor. The waitress put the utensils back on the table, and the girl discreetly squeezed her hand, hard. The waitress didn't think much of this at the time, for some reason, and went about her work. I'm thinking it's because this was the 80s or early 90s, I'm not sure what year this was, and Though, yes, unsolved mysteries existed, I don't think most people thought about true crime in day-to-day life like many of us do today. And there wasn't the internet, obviously. So I'm probably thinking that's why the waitress didn't think much of the hand squeezing. That's just my opinion. The couple and the girl left the restaurant. And as the waitress was busy bussing their table, she lifted up the plate that belonged to the girl to discover a napkin that read, please help me call the police. By the time she connected the dots, the couple and the little girl were gone. One month after the Carson City sighting, detectives re-interviewed Antoinette's younger sister, Wendy, who was five years old at the time of Antoinette's disappearance. Then 10 years old, Wendy made a startling revelation. Police went to Wendy's school with the intent of talking with her again about her recollections of what happened that late night of April 6th 1986. Wendy told detectives there was a knock at the door, and Antoinette went to answer it. Wendy said she followed Antoinette and observed her asking who they were, to which a man replied, Uncle Joe. Antoinette reportedly opened the door and was then grabbed by the man and another. Wendy says that Antoinette screamed repeatedly for the man who called himself Uncle Joe to let her go to no avail, and that he and the other man put Antoinette into a brown van. Wendy said she did not see either man's face clearly. When asked why she waited so long to talk about what she saw, Wendy told police since her mom had already been crying, she was scared she would get in trouble. At that time, Antoinette did have an Uncle Joe. He was Penny's brother-in-law married to Penny's sister, But Joe was interviewed and provided an alibi with a witness corroborating, and he is no longer considered a suspect. Finally, Penny took the investigation into her own hands, turning to her Native American heritage for answers. She and her other daughters visited a respected Navajo medicine woman skilled in performing traditional tribal ceremonies. The woman performed a centuries-old rite with the specific purpose of contacting the spirit of a missing person. According to the medicine woman, Antoinette is still alive, being held against her will with threats of violence, far from any city, in the Southwest, and that she may have a child. Detectives were amazed 
that additional information provided by the medicine woman was consistent with elements of their own investigation. So she had an Uncle Joe at the time, but he was interviewed and they seem pretty confident that he's not a suspect at all. He had an alibi and a corroboration by someone else. Oh, I love a good medicine woman story. I knew you would both love that part. So I was like, you know, that takes me back to um, to my case about the Girl Scout murders. But talk to the medicine man and all that. That was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even though there's not a lot of information out there about this case, I personally thought it was very disturbing and heartbreaking. And I thought it was extremely important to get this information out there in hopes that somebody somewhere will connect some dots and that hopefully Antoinette can be found alive and well somewhere, I hope. No matter how big or small the cases are, if it's one we've not heard of, we want to at least do what we can to get it out there. How long, is it, how long has she been missing? She went missing in 1986, so about 35 years. And the medicine woman thinks she has a kid of her own now? She, yes. And that, just so you know, the account about the medicine woman was on the Unsolved Mysteries episode. So I'm not sure what the medicine woman would currently think today, but at least after a few, at least just a few years after her disappearance, at the time of that recording, she believed Antoinette was alive and had a kid. Oh, wow. So she had a, she believed she had a kid really young then. Thank you again to Sarah for bringing that to my attention so we could talk about it here. And thank you to Jesse for bringing us Lake Lanier. These are both weird 3 a.m. mystery club stories, and I'm happy that we were able to talk about them. And we're so grateful for the suggestions. Yeah, we are. Like, like I've said many times now, I love the idea of covering straight up mysteries like the lake. Uh, more like, you know, haunting stories, not haunting like a ghost, but like stories that haunt you like that. But yeah, so thanks a lot. Yeah, this was, these were good little uh, mini stories to put together. Uh, That first one's especially, it's not a head scratcher, it's a hair razor. (laughs) Right, this is a hair razor and a head scratcher in one. 